Hi, welcome to HPR Talks First 100 Days. I'm Emmy Cho, a U.S. editor for the Harvard Political Review. And I'm Fawaz Shukve, also an editor for the Harvard Political Review. Yeah, so essentially this podcast is going to be having conversations about what's going on in the Biden administration, and we're going to focus on the president and his team's first 100 days in office. So for today's episode, we're going to be discussing the past several weeks, beginning with the inauguration all the way up to the impeachment trial that took place a couple of days ago. As President Joe Biden took the office for the presidency on January 20th, 2021, he was inheriting the economy, the political infrastructure, and the social infrastructure that President Trump had left behind. COVID numbers were at an all-time high. The economy had 10 million unemployed people and a GDP growth of 0.9%, which is less than half of what Obama had and less than a fourth of what Clinton had during their respective presidencies. Partisanship has been at an all-time high, and the Capitol insurrection on January 6, 2021, was a testament to that. Trumpism is still largely present in this American political landscape, despite Biden taking over on January 20th. We've even seen this with the impeachment that took place in the past weeks. Of course, the impeachment did succeed in the House, but when it got to the Senate, we saw division heavily among party lines. This is a testament to the fact that Biden is going to have to deal with an extremely divided nation throughout the course of his presidency. Will he choose to take an Obama route and sort of navigate and work with Republicans? Or will he continue to sign a flurry of executive orders and sort of circumvent the congressional process as well? So we can see that Biden's already signed a flurry of executive orders, and that's been really his main weapon throughout the couple of weeks in office. But that doesn't mean that he's completely neglecting Congress. I think he's trying really hard to pass the $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief package. Um, But he's certainly getting some pushback, which you can argue is reminiscent of Obama's experience with Obamacare. I think one thing to consider is that Biden may be using a good degree of executive orders at the beginning of his presidency to quickly reverse some of the Trump administration's actions that were also notably actualized through the power of the executive order. I was listening to The Daily a couple of weeks ago, and something they were discussing was the inherent impermanence that comes with the executive order. So sure, the president has the power to quickly reverse or instate something, but that also comes with the possibility of the next president doing the exact same thing. I think that's a really strong point, and it reminds me of an editorial I read, and that is actually an editorial from the New York Times that criticized Biden's flurry of executive orders. I mean, at this point, at almost a month into his presidency, he's had 50 executive orders, and the argument that the NYT was sort of advancing was that this is, like you said, perhaps only a temporary fix, that the next time that there's a president who isn't a Democrat and who doesn't agree with these executive orders, they'll all wash away and we'll sort of have this seesaw back and forth between Republican executive orders and Democratic executive orders. But I do think it is important to understand that perhaps an executive order is just a first step for change in the in the Biden framework. Perhaps these executive orders are genuinely taking care of urgent actions 
for example, fixing the problems of deportations that have sort of affected a lot of uh, immigrants to this country, fixing the climate issues. For example, we saw that Biden quickly got back with the Paris Climate Accord. And so things that are genuinely urgent and need to be fixed immediately is what Biden is addressing with executive orders. And the more longer lasting changes, you know, we can sort of see that he's trying to work with Congress, with this divided Congress to get those done. But as you said, I mean, the issue is that he is facing such a divided Congress, and that is something that Obama had to deal with as well. Given the dire situation that Joe Biden is inheriting, a lot of historians and scholars are considering comparing this to the situation that Franklin Delano Roosevelt inherited after the Great Depression and heading into World War II with his first 100 days and with his New Deal. I think one important difference that we need to acknowledge there is that while Biden and FDR are both taking a bunch of actions, you know, immediately as they got inaugurated on January 20th of their respective inauguration years, we have to acknowledge that FDR actually had an entire tidal wave of bills and of acts passed in the Congress and ratified in the Senate, whereas Biden right now has had only executive orders to sort of help maintain this sort of stability and help facilitate this recovery in the country. And so in order for the United States to see a sort of recovery and growth reminiscent of the New Deal era and the sort of prosperity that arose from that era, I, I think that we do need to see Biden work more with Congress and, and try to instate these long-term reforms. So speaking of efforts to encourage national recovery, Biden inherited the presidency when COVID-19 was really at its peak, and he's still navigating a very precarious public health situation. Uh, at the same time, over the past couple of weeks, we've seen 39% of decrease in cases over the past 14 days, 18% decrease in deaths, 28% decrease in hospitalized people, and 4.2% of fully vaccinated people and 12% of residents having at least one dose of the vaccine. I think it's important to note that from a pragmatic and legislative perspective, Biden is trying to accomplish a lot of things that will encourage national COVID recovery. At the same time, whether it's through his rhetoric or the signing of executive orders that heavily emphasize mask wearing, much more than the Trump administration did, Biden is emphasizing that even from a symbolic standpoint, his administration is committed to normalizing healthy public health practices and doing everything in their power to ensure that things are going to go back to somewhat of a normal sooner than later. I mean, he even finalized a deal on February 11th to buy 200 million more COVID vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna by July, which makes a clear statement and has the country on track to have everybody vaccinated by the middle of summer. I think that's definitely more of a respect of science, of the facts, and it's certainly been demonstrated through his legislative and symbolic actions over the past couple of weeks. And while I agree that this huge change in demeanor with regard to the crises at hand is crucial, a change in tone and actions from Biden himself is certainly not enough to facilitate this progress and this reform that is needed in this crucial time in our country. Biden needs to continue to appoint and get cabinet members confirmed in the Senate. As of now, he only has seven out of over 23 cabinet members who have been confirmed. And this is concerning because we need so many more plans and so many more proposals from different sectors that cabinet members would typically overlook and different departments that cabinet members would overlook to sort of help with this COVID recovery. But right now we only have seven and, and two of them are related to defense, which at this moment is not a crucial issue. 
Now, Biden certainly isn't alone in the fact that he's going to have difficulty getting cabinet members confirmed. Obama and Trump also had very similar issues. But Biden is lagging behind right now. And to make matters more difficult, he's also inheriting a very polarized nation at this moment. And so getting cabinet members confirmed in the Senate could be really, really difficult. I think that's a great point. And we certainly see this polarization exhibited in the recent Trump impeachment trial. I mean, it's a historic moment. He was the first president to be impeached twice in our nation's history, with only seven Republican senators voting to convict him, including Mitt Romney of Utah and Susan Collins of Maine. And even now, these seven individuals are facing enormous pushback from the Republican side. I think it's an apt reminder that people can have conversations about bipartisanship, about reaching across the party lines. But at the end of the day, that sort of vision remains an uphill battle for the time being. And this is particularly the case for President Biden, who is facing a very politically fractured and segmented nation. And part of the reason that Biden is facing such a politically fractured nation is due to two senators, Josh Hawley of Missouri and Ted Cruz of Texas. And I expect that Biden is going to be struggling with them throughout the course of his administration. Trump may be gone for now, but these two senators are clearly taking up the mantle of Trumpism that Trump left behind, and they have been more detrimental to Democrats than Senator Mitch McConnell has been. You see, while McConnell has acted as a gridlock for Democratic goals in the Senate, Hawley and Cruz are also going to be perpetuating polarizing political norms. Hawley has voted to reject all seven of Biden's cabinet members, and Cruz has voted to reject six out of those seven. More than that, both of them have also been incredibly outspoken about their disagreement with the election outcome and the election's integrity, causing many Americans to still contest the validity of Biden's administration. It certainly would not be surprising to see this sort of behavior continue throughout Biden's term. I also would expect at least one of the two of them to run for the Republican ticket in 2024, as it seems like they're certainly setting themselves up to do so with their outspokenness and with their criticisms of this administration. At the same time, some may argue that impeachment is an issue that a majority of Republican senators won't budge on. But on the other hand, the possibility of Democrats and Republicans collaborating, for example, to deliver a national COVID relief package are much more feasible. Some may argue not by much, but I think that has yet to be proven. And there's certainly opportunities to challenge the gridlock that's recently surfaced, especially following the impeachment trial. I think one example is the growing difference between the attitude of Republicans in national and then local politics. I mean, the Washington Post published a piece on February 14th that illuminated this divide, saying that Republican representatives, quote, overwhelmingly oppose the relief bill, casting it as bloated and budget busting. But on the other hand, they say that, quote, to many Republicans at city halls and state houses across the country, the relief package looks very different. And we actually see that President Biden is beginning to see a wave of support amongst Republicans in various local political spheres. And though Biden is starting to see some report trickle in from the Republican Party, overall, he's not only getting a lot of pushback from Republicans, but also from some progressive Democrats as well. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York has criticized Biden's proposed relief package for only having a $1,400 stimulus rather than the $2,000 that she and similar leaning members such as Cori Bush have proposed. 
more conservative members, such as Representative Kevin Brady of Texas, have criticized the relief package for being too large and for doing some things that wouldn't actually help small businesses or what he has claimed to call Main Street America. Another conservative critique of the relief package is that it's trying to fit in a bunch of other liberal and democratic goals that have nothing to do with COVID relief, one of them being the universal $15 minimum wage. These are all a lot of things that the Biden administration will have to address and perhaps have to compromise with both progressives and Republicans if they want to get the bill through um, through if they want to get the bill if he wants to get the bill passed. Uh, however, it is much more likely that progressives such as AOC will end up agreeing to whatever Biden proposes rather than Republicans actually doing the same. Another concern with Biden's proposed stimulus package, and one that a lot of Fed officials have been bringing up lately, is that such a large spending plan could actually spur inflation to measures that we haven't seen since perhaps the 70s, and that that could be catastrophic for an already recovering economy. Biden isn't just making bold moves and proposals with regard to COVID and the economy, though. I mean, his administration seems to be considering a nuclear arms policy overhaul, perhaps one that will be reminiscent of Obama's efforts with nuclear policy. In the flurry of executive orders that we mentioned earlier, many of them are focused on tightening climate regulations for big businesses, with 16 of them being reversals of the Trump administration's climate policies, and at least 29 of them being new policies. Finally, Biden has stayed true to what has become one of the Democrats' legislative priorities over the past few years, abortion. In this case, he's followed through on his promise by rolling back anti-abortion policies previously instated by the Trump admin. And so as of now, that's what Biden's first 100 days are looking like. About a month into his administration, he's trying to facilitate a recovering economy. He's trying to wrestle with this deadly pandemic. And he's trying to deal with polarization, both in the Senate, in Congress, and in the House, but also in the nation at large. But at the same time, he's also attempting to make progress with other less pressing goals at this time, such as abortion and climate as well. So far, he's mostly achieved these goals with executive orders, but he clearly has plans to get longer-term bills passed in Congress. So we can see these executive orders as temporary and not final. At this time, his cabinet is modest, but he has a long list of members waiting to get confirmed by the Senate. And once he does so, it'll likely be the most diverse cabinet to date. So far, it looks like Biden's administration is coming together with a lot of numbers telling a story of a nation recovering from what has been a really rough time. We're incredibly eager to see what he does next. And with that, I'm Emmy. And I'm Fawaz. And this has been HPR Talks The First 100. Until next time. <laughs>